1. Grace, 1922 It was a small, unobtrusive advertisement in a Cheltenham periodical that took me to Phoenix House in 1922. The looker-on was issued weekly, and my grandmother had been getting it delivered to our house in Bristol for as long as I could remember. The few lines that would alter the course of my life lurked near the bottom of a page full of other advertisements, sandwiched between a request for a lady's companion who would be willing to exercise a small dog and a vacancy for a plain cook with impeccable references and clean habits. I know it by heart still. Governess, it's stated at the top, in large black inked capitals. Young lady, sought for seven-year-old boy who cannot attend school. General lessons required, with possibility of light nursing duties. Competitive terms include room with picturesque view. References essential, Deep Embridge, Phoenix House, near Cheltenham. Do you understand? my grandmother said. She had laid the periodical in front of me, the corner of the page carefully folded down to mark the place. I saw that she was trembling with her discovery. Her grey eyes shone, and for a moment I could see exactly how she must have looked when she was young, when she was my own age. I think so, I said cautiously, because I wasn't sure I did. It's them, the Pembridge family, "'But isn't it a strange coincidence that they're advertising for a governess? "'It's just what they must have done all those years ago when you went there.' "'Oh, but it's not a coincidence,' she said. "'This is what we've been waiting for.' "'We?' My voice sounded light, amused, but unease was creeping through me. "'What have I to do with it?' "'Why, everything, my love. "'Why do you think I have been telling you about Phoenix House all these years?' "'I thought they were just stories.' I thought you wanted to tell me about when you were young. Well, I did in part, but there was a point to it too. It was preparation. Preparation for when you would go there yourself. My grandmother had always been an accomplished teller of tales. My childhood was a silver thread hung with the pearls of them. Even after I'd left childhood behind, they lived on agelessly in my mind, easily as vivid as anything that actually happened to me in those early years. So much so that, looking back... It was sometimes hard to see where the joins were, where the hardwood of my own memories met my grandmother's more pliable recollections. All my favourite stories in her repertoire were about Phoenix House. She had been there in 1878, governess to the daughters of the house, and I felt I knew the terrain of that single summer as well as the lines and folds of my own upturned hand. I believed I could have walked blindfolded through the place, sure-footed as I explored its rooms by touch and sound alone. The hallway tiles of cream, umber and wedgwood blew hard under the soles of my shoes, the curving banister smooth under my fingertips, softened by years of polishing, a child's cry ringing out from the nursery above, and the porcelain rattle of a servant's tray below. My grandmother was Harriet Jenner then, and when she told me how she had admired the view out of her bedroom window at Phoenix House each morning, I believed I saw with her the gold and green Gloucestershire landscape that tilted this way and that as it undulated away into invisibility. I suppose, at the time, I preferred Harriet's past to my own present. I was a newly made orphan when I first heard about Phoenix House and its inhabitants, so perhaps a part of me drew comfort from hearing about a time when my parents were as safe as I could imagine them, snug in their unbornness, which I imagined as a cocoon suspended in the dark, hidden in the shadows beyond the stars. They were killed on the railways. 
between London and Bristol on the famous line built by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. The spring of 1910 turned out to be unusually lucrative for the newspapermen. First, Halley's Comet had dazzled and humbled with its fiery silence as it blazed across the skies, its tail of deadly cyanide generating a hundred apocalyptic headlines. Then, as if that wasn't news enough, Europe's uncle and bon viveur in chief Edward VII had died, presumably of a life well lived. No one knew it then, of course, but his funeral on the 20th of May was the last of its kind, a spectacular turning out of rank and royalty that numbered no less than nine crowned heads. Gathered from all corners of the continent for one final occasion, most of them would soon be scattered for good, variously deposed, exiled or murdered. But other, smaller lives were lost that spring, and names that should have remained in safe obscurity were instead immortalised in smudged ink on flimsy paper. The day after the king's funeral, my parents...